Welcome, patrons, to this edition of The Hum and the Silence, the exclusive bonus episode show on Patreon. So I've got Brian here with me. Uh, If you've listened to our episode on the abduction of Jose Antonio da Silva, he he was on for that. Uh, Brian, I have this Buckwild case. It's from Wisconsin. And I think you'll appreciate this. I'm just going to read the whole thing here. Cause, uh, All right, let me get into a pose. I'm going to get myself ready. Yep. Closing my eyes. Go ahead, Rob. Yep. And I'm closing my eyes. You can tell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This item is taken from the National Star of May 11th, 1976. This newspaper is a tabloid, which is distributed nationally in the States, in drugstores and grocery stores. And the account tells of an incident which took place on November 10th. 1975. We're in Travis Walton territory here. The visitors that arrived unexpectedly on the doorstep of Peter Ebel's uh, house were out of this world. They had mouths the size of dimes, and when they moved, they drifted like astronauts, 10 or 11 feet with each step. Now, Peter, 64, a retired construction foreman of Wauwatosa, Wisconsin is convinced that his uninvited guests were from outer space and his wife Anne, 59, who was first to see them when she answered the, their ring at the doorbell, agrees. She told the star, quote, The first thing I saw was a hat one of them was wearing. It had a narrow brim which made it look like a flying saucer. <laughs> I opened the inside door and stuck my arm out to look at the screen door. Twice I said, yes, and when I got no reply, I told Pete that whoever it was could not talk. Pete continued, quote, I could see about four others flocking around, though the rest of the street was deserted. We were surrounded by these critters. Their legs seemed to be moving, but they weren't touching the grass. The one at the door had a mouth that was extremely small, about the size of a dime. It looked as if he could only sip liquids through a straw and his chin was fixed. So I'm getting like, uh, you know, arse vibes here, real arsehole vibes. Um, it's funny you say that. Cause I was just, I just finished a, a read through of preacher like a month and a half ago. Yeah. It's arse face all, all the way here. Uh, it would be impossible for anyone to move the way these critters were moving. They drifted, uh, a couple of feet off the ground and moved 10, 10 or 11 feet with each step. The way the astronauts walked on the moon, only more controlled. Miss Evil said that the creatures left after about five minutes. When the Evils reported the incident, they felt that the police thought they were nuts. I got the feeling the officer thought I'd been drinking, said Pete. A spokesman for the police department at Wauwatosa said, We investigated the incident, but nothing was substantiated. Credit Richard W. Hyden of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. After Ted Blocker sent this article, I called the witness again. The reporter had spoken with them only briefly and took pictures. Peter made two drawings for them, but I feel sure that the drawing with the article was not made by a star artist. Peter did not have the article on hand when I called, so he did not know for sure. In the drawing he made, he would not draw the eyes, as he did not remember them. Also, there were there is only one step there. And if there were two, as incorrectly as correctly shown in the picture, the witnesses would only have seen the top uh, one from the doorway where they were. I interviewed the witness for about three hours in their home and also talked with them by phone a couple of times. They seem sincere, and I am inclined to believe them, but I have made no reference check with neighbors, pastors, etc. I am saying this only to avoid sticking my neck out with a definitive conclusion at this time. What makes this case interesting, and I'm going to show you this now, this image, Brian, this is what these beings looked like. Could you please, so, Rob, could you please describe this for the listeners? You are literally so. This is a cross between a a, a gondola man and Mister Rogers. <laughs> yes. 
is what you're showing me. A so when you were describing these, I was actually picturing like a a Michelin or Stay Puff man, kind of like <laughs> some kind of being that was filled with air or helium that was just gliding around. But no, you showed me a much more mundane um, uh, a pole vaulter. I guess would be the best way of putting it. Um, yeah, I mean, he looks like a pole vaulter that's also in like a singing quartet. That we meets on the weekends, the hat because yeah, yeah. it very ha- much has that like singing quartet hat thing going on. Uh, the 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 two steps that it was standing on is also interesting because it's like out of nowhere the, this being was standing on two steps. It, but but the thing is, it like it looks human. It's got a small ass mouth, and apparently these things just jump ten to eleven feet at a time. So the investigator did not check to see if there were any um, plays or musicals uh, uh, airing around here. Maybe this is like some kind of early viral promotion. No, no. This is... Um, I, I, I'm i surprised that he says that he believes them. I don't know if I would because, again, this is like a guy who's part of a singing, uh, a barbershop quartet on the weekends who's holding a, a stick like he's a goddamn wizard, and uh, he's about to abduct some hearts. Uh, with well, a, here's the problem, too, yeah. is that while he may belong to a barbershop quartet, he has a baby mouth. Yes, he does have a baby mouth. Uh, and we talked about the fish mouths, that the the beings uh, in the Jose Antonio da Silva abduction had. Just beings with small mouths scare me. This is like a, but it's like it's it's a subclass of fish. It's like a minnow mouth. It's not even a big one. Yeah, it's it's not like a catfish. Yeah, is this a metaphor for the fishing that we do in life? We are fishers of men and also of aliens. Now this is how it it, it goes down. Like, I I I feel like Jose Antonio da Silva was now a fisher of aliens. He's a uh, he's alien Jesus now. So do so. Here's a question for you in this in this instance, right? So does the podium or the steps do they have wheels on them? We're not sure. We are not sure because they did not. Uh, we aren't even sure if there's two steps, Brian. We only saw one. That's the thing, yeah. Th- and that is a crucial aspect to the like. This will make or break the entire thing. My question is, how do you post an article like this, folks? It, Rob keeps waving the picture in my face. I don't. I don't even know what's so, going on here. <laughs> uh, I'll post this picture online, but it's just. Was it a slow news day, do you think? I, you know, I I really wonder, like, I've never... this is even worse than clown pants. Yeah, this goes beyond clown pants. This goes beyond uh, to um, small mouth barber to- barbershop quartet singer. Yeah, that's what we have on hand. Um, fucking just the weirdness of cases, man. They're, they just pop out of fucking nowhere. And this is the thing, too, is that, like, were you to sit me down and run me through a number of scenarios in which, like, there is an encounter, I usually look for, like, certain markers, you know? Yeah. Certain things that I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, this this adds credibility to a case. This instills no confidence. This inspires nothing in me. Yeah. That's that's completely fair. It's just batshit craziness. And so they ring the doorbell. Mm-hmm. And they're like, guess what? We are aliens. We're aliens. Uh, not only that, they didn't even ask what the hell they wanted. Like... Rude aliens just knocking on... Like, I have this thought in my head now that they were going to sing for them. Like, they were just going to get together, sing a song, maybe move on, maybe uh, invite themselves in, make a sandwich... before I forget, like this was this happened December nineteen seventy five, right? No- so could this be November nineteen seventy five? Okay, yes. okay. So this maybe is like a, a Thanksgiving caroler or like a pre holiday caroler. Mm-hmm. They're getting ready. They're opening up their repertoire. Perhaps they don't understand human customs, so they're blending to sing whenever they want. Not understanding that really, like in Thanksgiving, you don't really have a lot of Thanksgiving songs. No, we also don't really have a time on this. We don't know. I'm assuming it occurred in the evening at some point, but. Um, instead, just putting my kids to bed, and the gondola man arrives. Yeah. The, the gondola man al- uh, arrives, and they knock on the door of some mouth shamers. They were mouth shamers. <laughs> <laughs> so when you look at a case like this, and obviously, like uh, I'm going to use a, a term that I love, but like malarkey, right? More or less, like we, you and I, could both agree that, like, on a scale of like wanting to believe in this as um, some kind of like otherworldly or other dimensional being, like a very quite low. It could be a Vincent Adult Man situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where it's just two kids dressed up and then with a big stick. Man, 
it's just I dream for this now. I, I dream for an encounter like this. I want it to happen to me. And uh, Brian is dying apparently. Oh, oh, he, you know. I drank water and I was just thinking of the gondola man. <laughs> he was thinking of the gondola man, which uh, you know, if I were to ever write my own like X Files, the cigarette smoking man would be replaced with gondola man. Okay, but does he get around in a boat? So therefore, are you just hanging around bodies of water praying that a deep state actor comes to you in the night? It, oh yeah, totally, totally. Uh, it's an invisible boat, though. You can't, you can't see it. So, oh. like, you can. In my, in my brain, you own an RV that you're constantly moving around bodies of water, hoping for encounters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you are basically it's like supernatural, but uh, with a lot less smoldering for the camera and. Uh, a lot less chance of dying. At, Do you at this own point. a sweet muscle car, though? No, I don't. Which is problem number one. Uh, I and it can't be an Impala now. It can't be an Impala. They took the Impala, so naturally I have to up my ante here. Um, maybe I'll go with like a car that breaks down a lot, like uh, the Roadrunner. The Roadrunner just broke down all the fucking time. Uh, they were notoriously shitty cars, so maybe you know what? I think we could use an El Camino here. And I was gonna, say, I li- Rob, I was literally gonna suggest like I think you need the El Camino because mm-hmm. I think you need the back end to sort of um, house your different experiments and your different kinds of like materials needed for your encounters. Yeah. Yeah, you need the uh, fundamental equivalent uh, of a mullet to ride around in because that's what an El Camino is. Let me tell you about a a brand of car that I only learned uh, about when I was a kid because it perpetually sat in my neighbor's driveway. They're called Lada, L-A-D-A, and they are a Russian brand of car that is not good at all, my friend. They're awful and they always broke down and a Lada used to sit um, two houses away uh, from my childhood home and I used to think all the time, I will never buy a Lada. Not that I've ever had the chance to because they're pretty rare here in North America. Yeah, uh, you'd have to import that. And at, at that point, well, why wouldn't you buy a Tesla? <laughs> so I love how I Googled Lada cheapness. And the f- second hit is the Lada Riva. And the Wikipedia entry is as follows. It was one of the cheapest automobiles available in the Russian market. Holy shit. And remains the most popular secondhand car in Russia, even after its production ceased. So just just imagine being the shitty car in Russia. Just think about so, that. So this is like Cuba, where they fix their cars and like yeah, they, but Cuba actually got like a yeah. quality American vehicles more or less. Where like yes. this is just shit from the the outset. And I would love if any of your Patreon listeners uh, 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 have any firsthand knowledge of of Lada vehicles and would love to come on and debate me about their greatness because I saw one for years sitting in a driveway. And Brian was not impressed. He was not impressed was, at all. Even as a child, I was not impressed. <laughs> and as a child, I was easily impressed. Yeah. I mean, when you're a child, you're impressed by most things. Bright lights? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, any kind of, like, movement on a television screen? I'm there. He's totally there for it. He's totally there. So, Brian, I, I have a question. Uh, if you were in an abduction-like scenario, and you can point to any case, uh, any abduction case in history, what abduction case would you like your abduction to turn out like you know that i I, it's a tough question because it's it's a traumatic thing you're going through a traumatic experience but during through the trauma there's like these moments of uh and maybe enlightenment maybe you know profundity something significant happens to you that doesn't totally mire this thing in negativity so what what abduction I, experience? I got it. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going George Adamski. Like, I want to uh-huh. hang out with like the Nordic aliens. I want to like see their beautiful villas. I want to see their world. Nothing happens to me by and large. Yes. I'm fine. I'm safe. Uh, they're not stealing shit from my body. They're not trying to get me to impregnate a a a, a an otherworldly creature. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's chill vibes all around. Chill vibes. Uh, you're hanging out with Venusians. Who've got some pretty dope ass long hair? They keep it blonde. It never, you know, goes gray or anything like that. They're pretty old, but they're they've got chill vibes, and I think that is the most important thing that you want to bring to the table with any UFO encounter that you can have is chill vibes and uh, a mutual meeting place in a California desert is is the <laughs> ideal spot for anything like this to go down. Um, 
with the exception of you know a, a Stephen Greer UFO watch party that you have to sign an NDA to to take part in in the first place and so that someone can fire f- flares yeah. into the desert and have you stare at them. So uh, just to be clear, like I don't particularly believe most of George Nancy's story, but mm. were I to be a firm believer in that camp, that would definitely be um, the vibe that I'd I'd be going for. What about you, man? That that's that's a tough one because it, as these cases progress from decade to decade to decade, there's more trauma involved. There is uh, more frightening aspects to these cases. If I had to point to one though, I I would want to go through a Herbert Shermer like experience. Interesting. Yes, because like. For Herbert Shermer, it wasn't necessarily that he was quote-unquote abducted. He kind of went on board of his own free will. He was shown around the ship. They said some dope things to him like, we want you to know about us, but not too much. Okay, I dig that. All the while he's explaining their, you know, propulsion system and how it works. And uh, he keeps calling him um, Watchman uh, because... uh, he was the quote-unquote watchman of this town, so uh, he just kept going, Hello, watchman. This is how this works. <laughs> this is how that works. They weren't incredibly frightening. Yeah, they were a little shorter. Like, the shorter the beings get, the more frightening they get, generally, and unless they're, like, you know... Uh, is that just height bias, though? Are you just, like, worried that you can't... Like, they're, like, like you know, they're kind of squirming around. You're like, I can't see you. I, I am generally frightened by small children in the way that they run around, and sometimes you just can't see them, and they come out of nowhere. That's what you get with a lot of these aliens, is this frightening visage that pops out of nowhere and is utterly terrifying uh, for extended periods of time. Children are frightening. They are absolutely frightening. Otherworldly or earthbound, they are absolutely frightening. Yes, yes. Children just absolutely scare me. So, yeah, I think Herbert Shermer is a is a good example. Do I want fake dummies with bullet holes, you know, <laughs> hung up in the local cemetery? No. Do I want my car blown up in uh, Boulder, Colorado? No, but... Especially if it's an El Camino. Yeah, oh. If you touch my El Camino, I'm going to end your life. That's just how it's going to happen. But uh, so, so Brian, I've I've always been kind of interested. What what cases, what UFO cases, do you find convincing? Because uh, over on the Double Density podcast, you guys uh, range a little more skeptical. Uh, Angelo is just a downright debunker at this point, you know, talking about, oh, iPhones, everybody's got an iPhone, can't take a decent picture of the moon, but let's take a picture of a really small light in the sky, but, um, <laughs> you know, what what cases do you find convincing? I think the one that speaks most jelly to me, of course, is, is and for many people, I think it's it's uh, Betty and Barney Hill, I think, first and foremost to me. I think that, like, on the scale of, like, believability, there's a lot there. There's physical elements. Then, of course, um, your spirit animal, Lonnie Zamora, I think is another huge one. Mm. I, anything with, like, a lot of, like, physical evidence to it, I'm really, really invested in and wants to believe the narrative that is given to the public. I think um, things like Lonnie Zamora, like, he was a cop. People actually, like, definitely believe what he was saying. And I found that very interesting. Same thing with like Betty and Barney Hill. They were very credible witnesses who had stories and um, a whole bunch of like anecdotal stuff. And, you know, there's some evidence there, too. It's just there's a lot there that I I, those are are probably like the two biggest and best ones to me that I want to believe in being true, I think. I think that's fair because, I mean, for Betty and Barney Hill, they just seem like... I don't know, the most unlikely of folk. It just seemed like a giant bit of, like, circumstance that they ended up in the situation that they did. I don't know how often those roads are traveled at night, but I can't imagine that, you know, nobody travels them. Like, they would have to see some kind of vehicle along the way, and yet they didn't see any vehicle along the way. They're... You know, their their ordeal lasted miles upon miles, and um, 
I'd also say, like, similarly speaking, like, kind of rural, but not like Shag Harbor, I think is really interesting, right? Mm. A lot of eyewitnesses, very yeah. incredible. Yeah, something clearly crashed into the harbor. It's just, yeah. what the hell was it? And it it had to have been something. It had to have been physical because there were way too many people that saw it. It, it, it shares a lot of similarities with um, the Kecksburg crash and mm, in that yeah. just it was seen by so many people over such a large area that you can't like it, it, it in shag harbor that there were pilots that saw it in the air so clearly something there happened i think uh for me one of the most convincing cases is stefan mikulak at falcon lake just because oh, yeah i mean just the physical evidence all over his body right like that's that's another incredible and it's funny because like uh, uh what is it like two canadian ones i think i'll take it mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely because th- there aren't enough canadian cases that get credit it's just like hey there's these two and you know uh, occasionally other ones that leak out like that huge ass ufo from the yukon in 1996 plas bonaventure yeah, yeah. um well plas bonaventure is is near and dear to my heart living in montreal right so mm-hmm. super fascinating stuff and then like actually covered by the local news in like kind of a somewhat serious manner not just a, a like uh how they usually get covered in the last like 50 minutes of a broadcast when you full time yeah yeah exactly it was given its proper due which is great uh val johnson too is a good one Yes, the the Val Johnson one is interesting because it's it, it's similar uh, along the lines of a kind of a Herbert Shermer, but like yeah. involving a small orb of light that just kind of burst through his car and like did some physical damage to it and uh, kind of waylaid him. He was out of it for a brief period of time before he came to. And, and and the nice thing is, is like his car is in a museum. It's still sitting there today. You can go see yep. it even now, which is yep. which is cool as shit. Um, yeah, it's. I think. But what about stuff? I don't know if we ever formally talked about it, but mm-hmm. like, what about things like Travis Walton though? That's that's the tough one because like. There's a lot there to believe, mm-hmm. but then the unreliability continually of the principles is what makes it difficult. Yeah, it's that that is tough because you you have it, the reason that the Travis Walton case got the attention that it did is because it was considered a murder investigation for the, yeah. for so long, for, you know, five days. It was, you know, believed that these guys had murdered Travis Walton and were trying to cover it up. If they were doing that, they were trying to do that in the worst way absolutely possible. I think what convinces me more that something strange did happen to Travis Walton is just the way he tells his story, which hasn't changed really in like what like 40 years now yeah. at this point almost 40 years um there was that kind of weird shit with mike rogers like last year yeah and that's that's more so what was stuck in my mind is yeah is as time continues sort of like and uh, they are kind of tied uh, at the hip more or less because of this right for life yeah uh, and they have been and like they they've made the rounds at the cons they've done work together and separately and like there's there's a little bit of animosity there sometimes then there isn't like there's there's a lot there that it's it's very curious yeah exactly it's a similar situation with the allagash guys because you know a couple years ago chuck rack comes out and says well we had a ufo sighting in fact we had two of them but we weren't abducted that uh, that part didn't happen ufo sightings oh yeah they totally happened we totally saw those (laughs) but it's just like um to me, and, you know, I don't want to talk ill of the man, but it, it just seemed like maybe the cash wasn't as there for him as it was for the other guys. Because right. uh, if you, you know, when you read through uh, Ray Fowler's book, Chuck Rack doesn't offer up much. Uh, his hypnosis sessions are not successful. They don't get much information from him. He talks about being a lifelong experiencer, but doesn't really go into his experiences much at all but he as being this outlier i can kind of see where maybe he would come out and say like you know certain thing why he would come out and say that he did he was involved in the the uh allagash comic book though so right and that's the thing too is that like when you start tying um uh any kind of like uh financial avenues to stories like this mm-hmm. it definitely becomes a little bit more complicated to want to believe hope 
and the thing is like you were joking before about Angelo and I being skeptic, but like I'm definitely on the less skeptical side, but then you always have to question motivations. And sometimes that's really hard. And I remember you saying once you always have to look at the um, witnesses in any abduction, not necessarily just the physical evidence, but also mm -hmm. like really study the people in like specific ways. And that's always stuck with me. And so like, I always kind of like, if someone is, is able to pass the kind of like scrupulous sort of like um um invasion more or less that like people tend to do after these kinds of things and like and it makes the story stronger in a lot of cases then like i'm much more willing to believe a lot of that yeah yeah absolutely it's you have to see how people react to the way in which a case is investigated you you investigate the incident but if you're not investigating the people at the same time if you're not looking at their credentials, their, you know, uh, bona fides and, and stuff like, well, you don't really have a UFO case. You just kind of have like, uh, you're, you're trying to pin belief to something that doesn't afford necessarily afford it. That like, I, I think the problem is, is that at this, at the end of the day, it's a matter of belief and not belief. Most people don't want to embrace this, willingness to allow things to exist in a gray space and with ufos that's where they dwell they are the gray space these stories are a gray space that uh, even with cases that offer up physical evidence like lonnie zamora like um the um uh falcon lake incident like um the Cash Landrum incident and stuff like that. There's always going to be this element of doubt that you can't eliminate 100% because you weren't there. It wasn't documented on camera. And it's just, you have to be comfortable with that gray space. So yep. at the same time, you have to find witnesses that make you comfortable in that gray space that, yeah, absolutely. That kind of allow their story to exist without pushing belief onto people. Because uh, I, I think it was John Tenney that said, ultimately, you should be listening to people. That does not mean you have to believe them. And, and belief is not something that somebody should be selling you at the end of the day. I mean, this whole Anjali thing has been... Yeah, that's a whole yeah. horror show. And, uh, you know, and I, I don't mean... Okay, so the person involved, I think, might have a, a proper mental illness, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'm not judging. I'm not a doctor. But, like, there are clear hallmarks of people I know who've behaved similarly in the past in my own personal life that I, I see reflected here. And, unfortunately, like, it's just perpetuated. And there's not enough discernment necessarily going on in what a lot of people want to buy into because of this whole um, moment in time that, uh, you know, UAPs, and I hate using that term, are just currently occupying, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. They are, uh, especially in the last 20 years, the uh, the amount of grifting going on, I think, has uh, increased dramatically. Oh, yeah. yeah. From I mean, we, we could talk about, like, one of the worst people on Earth, Stan Romanek, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in jail for being a pedophile essentially um and then like pushing his book and then pushing this god-awful documentary and things like that like mm -hmm. there's there's financial gain there there is financial gain there not only that after he got out of prison he was allegedly caught on reddit commenting on posts from that featured pictures of young children so uh yeah stan romanek is like i he he's he's a pariah he is just an absolute garbage of a human being. And uh, if people are talking about, oh, well, I believe him, I believe his story, I don't give a fuck about his story. Like, there are certain He had a balloon alien yes. in a window that he was... He had someone wave around. Like, yes. that's just awful. Like, you look at that footage, and if you don't laugh, there is something wrong. Yeah. He... he, he doctored evidence he he created he, he attempted to create evidence where there wasn't like the the case of stan romanek is a guy who over documents everything as an elo as a means of belief and mm -hmm. that's problematic we saw it in um uh, let's bring up your favorite case let's yeah. talk about ed walters right yeah like, ed walters and gulf breeze i what i love about that case as batshit as it is as much as 
uh, QFOS uh, debunked it, saying that it was an artificial flap because every time that Ed Walters had a sighting, everybody else just had a sighting to correspond to it. The story is so... It's funny. It's got action. It it would make a great fucking movie because it's so batshit crazy and 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 just. It'd be like a Coen Brothers film. Yeah, it would be a Coen Brothers film. It'd make a fantastic Coen Brothers film. Cool. Like the fact that the people who bought his house found a a UFO model in the attic yes. when they moved in is like classic to me. Like yes. that is hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just the the, the fact that. They had to change their names and leave town so that nobody would ever find them again. Is is just wild to me. Not only that, they did such a terrible job that would that uh, <laughs> my researcher was able to find them. <laughs> Which to me suggests that like they maybe they want to be found by the right mm-hmm. set of people, right? right? And so to me, like, but then once again, like once again, the intersection of like profit and one and the the power of belief is is met there right so Mm -hmm. i don't want to begrudge people who have had a traumatic experience and want to 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 empower themselves to monetize that but i think like you have to weigh that against the the evidence and also the perception that you go through when you decide to turn your story into um uh either like a physical kind of like a memento in the form of like a book or, a, mm-hmm. you know, or some other bit of merch. And like, I, once again, like while I respect that, there's also that line that needs to be drawn. And the, and the question is like, how much are you buying into the story versus how much are you buying into the, the narrative or the fairy tale being told? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, with some people, uh, especially those that, uh, you know, publish books and stuff like that, I think, the ones that you really have to watch out for are those that offer up their story freely, despite the fact that they have a book published. They're not like Tom DeLong was on uh, the Joe Rogan experience saying, <laughs> Hey, uh, go read my book. Hey, go read yeah. my book. Um, because at the time, I think the only book that was out uh, was the first secret machines book, which is, you know, it's fiction. It's supposed to be, you know, got some truth in it and, and, and stuff like that. And, it's an okay book. It's not, you know, very special in in my opinion, but I mean, like let's talk about fucking like Bob Lazar, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just a classic uh, example of that kind of thing of like check out my book and then uh, as you have coined him and I love it, Jeremy Four Names coming out with a documentary all about this and like pushing the narrative of of Bob Lazar being a, a hero to the UFO community and then like offering up and I think um your recent guest Cogs did a really great episode when all of this kind of like uh, reemerged because mm-hmm. like it was cyclical because this was big in the mid 90s and then gone away and then come back and he debunked essentially like a lot of the scientific stuff that Bob Lazar was pushing and mm-hmm. yeah at the end of the day you just have someone who's trying to sell you on a birch line essentially in a book that's coming yeah yeah exactly like I, my biggest gripe with the UFO community these days is that it acts like they need a savior that well, they always need to lionize or hero someone, right? There's yeah. always the hero of the moment, and it shifts around. Yeah, like Bill Moore was kind of that hero for for a while uh, in the '80s until you know he he dropped the fucking shit that he did in '89, where uh, he he basically had to admit that he played into the shit that he did to Paul Benowitz along yep. with the military. Yep. So, like, clearly. Looking for saviors in this shit is not the way to go. Like, I I just don't get that. And like, we're we're in the age now. We've got Lou Elizondo, who is like, I think more than anybody, he catapulted himself after um, the restructuring of To the Stars Academy. He left, and uh, he's become this juggernaut in the field. Well- the fact that he has a forthcoming book coming out and then he says, like, he will reveal other secrets in there, like, to me is a red flag. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a big red flag. It's a red flag that has been repeated over and over and over again for, you know, decades now. Like, uh, grifting is not new to this subject. And it's just, like, every time it seems you bring stuff like that up to people, they're like, well that was in the past as if the past can't happen again and again and again, like it, like it always does. Like, yeah, just because it looks different now, just because, 
we have this quote unquote military insider now that things I, are going to be this, different. The silver lining with us living in the modern age is like there's a lot more grifting, but we can see it from further away. Mm-hmm. If you decide to be discerning in how you decide to view these things to someone who wholly buys in and like, let's be honest, like, I have scrolled through the UFO subreddit and like I feel bad for a lot of people who wholeheartedly believe every single thing. Like we had, there was this French comedian who basically like um, put together like a fake UFO uh, story and then like had it actually end up on like the Fox News of France pretty much. And then like all these people, this guy, I mean, Gayal, like all these people buying into the story in the subreddit and then finding out it was a hoax and then getting mad and saying that like he should be in jail for this is like a very weird. Mm -hmm. statements to make like empirically speaking because uh, you and your story and you know the experience and evidence need to be like beyond reproach in order for it to stand up because the more scrutiny that arrives and the better you can counter it and just the way in which you decide to approach something to me would suggest like i need like a great case despite any kind of scrutiny despite being put like under microscope and questioning all the things like and still standing up to me is like that that's the case that i want and so my threshold of belief is much higher than certain people but way below um a lot of the skeptical community including my co-host angelo mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely and like when you, you you've got a bunch of new people coming into this subject which is absolutely great i'm i'm still technically new i've been doing this for six years which ain't uh shit when you talk to when you have people like alan greenfield tweeting you about uh things that you're getting wrong or um how you should uh you know take a witness's statement at face value um and and things like that it's just there's no reverence for the road that was traveled to get to this point and and because a lot of people look at the new york times article and what has happened since then is this great reset button on all of ufology that allows the last 70 some odd years to be ignored which is (laughs) wrong it's it's absolutely wrong because i think in those cases you see the details that ultimately to me add credence to these cases there are odd details in them that just like stick out that don't make any sense that just if you're trying to tell a narrative, you don't fill it with a bunch of weird-ass details that have no point in the story. For instance, going back to that, uh, we talked. Uh, I talked briefly on the main episode, the Jose Antonio episode, about the, uh, the elusive men in black in the Kmart vestibule. There is a literal line in that article that was written that said, the witness had the impression that the be that the men in black had no fingernails not that he didn't that that they didn't have fingernails literally he had the impression that they didn't have fingernails it's such a fucking odd statement to make it makes no fucking sense to include it it's just like a one off detail like fingernails are not something that you like look at you're not looking at someone's hands to look at their fingernails to see what they look like or anything like that it's just i had the impression that they didn't have any what the fuck is that (laughs) it's those odd details that for someone who's been looking into this for so long seem like signposts to me about uh, authentic experiences that yeah. people have. Absolutely. Now, now, what what those authentic experiences are, I have no fucking clue. But like this shit, and and the things that you know, Lonnie Zamora goes through, that that Herbert Shermer goes through, that the the uh, Pascagoula guys go through. All of this shit is there to challenge your sense of reality in in some way or other. Or at least that's the impression that they give off. So, like, if you're not looking at the past, you're going to miss these details. Because the details on the cases that we have coming forward today all relate to standard maneuvers performed by what looks like technology. Um, I don't think the the part about the uh, UFO 
making it to Fravor's rendezvous point before he does. I don't see mm. that as being a sticking out point, mostly because that can be achieved through, you know, electronic, uh, you know, pirating and, and stuff like that. So, like, I don't see that as, like, the defining feature of it. Yeah, it's interesting that it seemed to be churning the water and that there was some other larger object in the water. I still don't think we have enough clarification on that part of it. But the tiny details in these cases matter uh, because... And I think that's what... Yeah. And I think you're right. Like, that that creates a more authentic experience, right? And so... And to me, all of the, like, the Monday morning quarterbacking that happens when people decide to talk about um, or, or, like, judge other people's experiences is really interesting to me, too, because no one knows how you're going to react to an incident until you have to live it, right? So all these people mm-hmm. saying, like, I would have done X, Y, Z, I would have done this, I would have done that. Like, right. it's all for naught at the end of the day because these are all singular experiences lived through a specific time and place. And it's just, yeah, it's it's... There's a lot of negativity, I think, too, surrounding modern ufology. Yeah. That I think that, like, uh, you know, it, ufology has always had that, but I think that, like, it's much more vocal and it's very tribalistic. And I think that, you know, it's, and it's something that we had when we had Cogswell on, we definitely talked about that for a while about, like, the tribal nature in which people treat ufology is the same way in which they mm-hmm. uh, treat politics. It's almost dogmatic and unwilling to change. Yeah. So they're, they're backing to the stars. They're backing Lou Lozano. Like, they're backing, like, this kind of, like, singular way of viewing UFOs or UAPs. Um, to the detriment of the entire field. Yeah. 100%. It's just... It obscures a lot when you do shit like that. It obscures... Like, the work that has been done, the work that is being done. Yeah, there are a lot of groups out there that I think are are doing good work that are documenting some of these cases that are just, like, reporting centers for a lot of it. But offering up a very obscure view of a broad phenomenon is not the phenomenon as a whole. And it is misrepresented. Well, yeah, and then acting like it's the, the only right yes. way in which to approach it, I think yes. is, is hugely problematic to me when like there can contain a multitude of reasons why things are happening. And like, like the more I explore this as the years go on, the less I believe anything almost, you know, like yeah. the, the more lived experiences I read about and the more lived experiences I learn about, the less I'm sure of, anything really and it's really weird because usually as you grow older you become more skeptical but i think that as i grow older the more i question everything and it therefore leads me to these moments where i then realize that like my perception was wrong and i need to alter or expand how i feel about things in order to approach it with a more open heart which i think is happening less than ever yeah yeah it's just a closed narrow view did you um did you hear about Cogswell's appearance on uh, it Unidentified Celebrity Review? Uh, no, I did not. So he made an appearance, um, you know, as the skeptical person that he that he was, and it just kind of devolved into a. Uh, there was one guest on there that was very. He got very angry at one point because he was brought on for a certain thing and. You know, he just basically started, uh, you know, getting all upset to the point where Chris just logged off. So in that, the way that they treated Chris was that because they had an experience that convinced them that there was something more happening, you know, than just military technology or whatever, you know, that, that there's something great going on. They used it as a talking point to dismiss his opinion entirely, which absolutely fucking infuriates me. As someone who has had a a boatload of experiences, and and I'm not, you know, shy about that. I've talked about them many of times. I don't use the fact that I've had all these experiences to dismiss a fucking scientist who has very valid points on the way that UFOs should figuratively be studied because the man tried to fucking do it. He's had, you know, wrenches thrown in his plans many times. I've been there for many of it. And it it just infuriates me that because someone has had an experience that it invalidates everything else that goes against the belief of that experience. 
if you're a, a witness and you're coming forward with that attitude, I, I it just infuriates me, and I just, yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't want to give that person the time of day. I don't want no, to invalidate sure. their experience, but at the same time, once again, it's the weight, right? It's yeah, like you got to balance those things out, and the, and 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 it's a really good point that you're making in that, like, there should be a collaborative approach to mm-hmm. looking at eyewitness statements or looking at evidence and things like that, so that therefore a scientist can come in and start to, you know, in theory, like either poke holes or strengthen your case, and you want them to strengthen your case. Yeah, at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's the thing that is like that doesn't happen a lot of the time because we can't even get to that point of discussion because once again, like people are so headstrong about what they've seen. Like once again, like your experience is a singular experience. You have that in you, and then you exist in the world at the same time. Yeah, exactly. There is a broader world than a than this one tiny avenue of experience that doesn't necessarily translate to the world at large how do you how do you rectify that how do you live with that you don't dismiss the world around you simply because it did not see what you saw that's absolutely absurd so just well just imagine like and unfortunately like increasingly mm -hmm. that's how people navigate the world right and i'm not just Mm -hmm. talking about this but i'm just talking in general right so and Mm -hmm. so to me it's very infuriating because like i want so badly and i make this point all the time on my podcast like i want to believe Mm -hmm. i want to see, feel, experience, hear about an experience that is so beyond reproach that everyone universally can buy into it. And I'm talking mm-hmm. about people with a scientific background, people of a religious faith, like that is so undeniable and stand up to so much scrutiny that like it can be brought forward as the prime example of um, uh, not necessarily an extraterrestrial um, event, but some kind of otherworldly or non-normal event. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like. You, if you're coming at it through a court case, you want it to stand up to all the evidence. Exactly, and that's the thing is, like, I want, I want to believe. I want to have these things be real more than Mm -hmm. anything in my life. I think because I've lived, I've lived these thoughts for most of my life ever since I was a kid, and I would love for there to be, um, once again, like, yeah, like you were saying, like, just if it were a court case, like, and then it would be irrefutable, and I would love to witness and see that, and you know, bask in the joy <laughs> of it existing. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's the dream right there. I think definitely, uh, just, a, uh, allowing that space to exist, you know, beyond, beyond what, uh, the, the scrutiny that it, that it holds up to like, We'll never get there. I think we've gotten close before, but I, also, I think so too. But I also think the the crowd today. I don't think they totally know what the science of this subject would look like. All it mostly it comes down to is soil samples. There's some burn marks, so we can we can take samples of that. And 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 I just don't know what the science of UFOs really looks like beyond the social sciences and maybe some chemical analysis of a certain thing that someone says they saw, but again, in that gray space, yeah. If there's a terrestrial explanation that, and then people who claim to have um, you know like alien implants and things like mm-hmm. that too, which just reveal to be like weird mixes of like nickel or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, and once again, like it's in that gray space. How did that get there? No one is quite sure. So, in some of these instances, it's a little odd to say the very least. And so, to me, like that adds to the story, but isn't the total story. Yeah, man, and that's. <laughs> And that's that's the the pain and the magic of wanting to believe. Yeah, man, the X Files got it right in more than one way. They didn't realize how nuanced that saying is. They didn't realize how encompassing that saying is. But you know what? We're not going to be able to prove belief here tonight, folks. So, uh, man, thank you again for for coming on and and talking about fucking ufos it's always a great always conversation a pleasure. always a pleasure with you rob yes and, and folks go check out brian's projects 
I am part of some of them. So go check out the Double Density Podcast. Go check out the Order of Podcasters. Go catch up. Uh, go through Season 1 before Season 2 starts. Um, and finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies. And you never know what will be knocking at your door in Wisconsin. In gray, we trust. Thank you.